Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. Uh, when I have done my, the, for those of you listening, I'm a constantly curious, voracious reader, curious about people, what makes them tick. And, um, but it wasn't until I met Robin Drake where I realized that maybe fundamental to my ability to seek knowledge and seek what makes other people tick, that there might be a foundation to this that allowed me to do that. And perhaps that foundation was trust. And since Robin Drake is the CEO of the People Formula, has a tremendous background in studying behaviors, we may get into that on this, on this podcast, or I'll give you a link so you can look more into his background. But he's written a number of books, which I have voraciously read over the last week. Uh, when I first met him, I went ahead and downloaded the books. And I now have them in front of me. And Robin, what I like to do is first thank you for joining me in a great conversation. I want to thank you for having me part of a great conversation. <laughs> and we've had many, you know, prior to this great conversation. So uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so fascinated about your journey, too. I mentioned a little bit just now in opening up a foundation of trust. What was your defining moment in your life that led you to trust as a foundation for all you do? Oh, a founding. Uh, <laughs> there's, you know, as, as we all been through life, there, there's a lot of defining moments that we go through. Um, you know, the first time I think I was asked that question, I, I go back maybe five or 10 years, you know, and I think about, you know, recruiting spies and trying to form trust with someone who, you know, doesn't want to form trust with you. And then, you know, as you get more reflective, you'll go back to, you know, my, my time prior to the FBI and the Marine Corps and developing trust with my senior drill instructors and my drill instructors uh, at Paris Island when I was accompanying a series commander down there. Then I reflect more and I go back to, well, how did I get to do all these things? Well, it's because I got through the Naval Academy after I failed out of my primary, you know, my primary major of aerospace engineering. And the only thing that got me through was building trust with my professors and everyone else that allowed me to stay there after they tried kicking me out for academics four times. <laughs> and then I go back even further, you know, it took me seven times to take the SATs even to get in the Naval Academy, get just get an application. And, and the trust I had to form with teachers, professors, and, and, and people that wrote recommendations for me that were teachers, mentors, and guides. And then it, it really ultimately goes back to, you know, at a much younger age, you know, when all their prefrontal lobes fully forming and the impressions we have of really a deep seated need internal that I had that we all have as human beings is, is our own psychological comfort. And my psychological comfort was I had a fear of being alone. I wanted to and needed to make a connection with people. And at the heart of making a connection, you need trust. And so that's the journey from, from now back through time, it's where it all started, but it really comes down to trust is the foundation of everything you need in life, which is healthy, strong relationships, because without relationships, partnerships, and connections, you can achieve nothing. I always say you can have the greatest genetics and biology on the face of the planet, but without healthy, strong relationships based on trust, you might as well be a moron on top of a mountain by yourself. You know, and, and thank you for that. That that is just beautiful to start with a very transparent comment like that. I was lonely. I, you know, worst fear of my life is being lonely and yet developing that trust as part of your fabric for, for your entire life. I, I got to admit when I first 
when I first saw the preamble to your book, even before I started talking to you, I go, okay, this is an FBI guy who used trust as kind of a tool, a weapon, if you will, to, <laughs> you know, get the bad guys to open up. And I'm just, you know, I've, I've kind of been there, you know, I've been around the security ecosystem my entire life. I've been there, done that. Okay, old story. And, and then you just disarm me because I realized you sincerely wanted, whether it was a bad guy or a good guy, or whether it was your wife or kids or your friends, you sincerely wanted to make that connection. It was a sincere thing about you. Tell me about that. Is that, Am I reading that right? Absolutely. Um, 100%. You know, it's, it's interesting too, you know, as a side anecdote to that, every other, every single confidential human source, you know, in the spy world or, or in the law enforcement world, they'll call them snitches or, or some, some derogatory term, you know, and even confidential human sources, you know, to me, uh, it's an objective objectification of a human being. Every single one that I ever worked with, I'm still in a relationship with a good, healthy, strong relationship. I mean, even so, even in that book, um, you know, that you read there, sizing people up, I talk about a character in there, Anon. Uh, it's not his real name, protect the name to protect, you know, protect the innocent. I literally have a gift basket. Where's my gift, you know, my, my gift basket from Anon, who I met right after 9 11, and we helped prevent another nuclear war between, not another, but a nuclear, you know, exchange between two Middle Eastern countries. You know, we're still in contact and friends today. And this is from years and years ago. In a, in a realm where you think that, you know, you're just using people for information. And then when you're done using and squeeze them for all they got, you throw them to the side. That's not how I roll. No, not at all. It's about making true, organic, great, sincere connections. Um, because, you know, when someone is willing to put their entire lives in your hands, potentially, or their families or their welfare, their well-being, you know, if you're going to use or start out with any sort of pretext or falsehood or manipulation, you're going to fail majestically. And, and at the core of, of me is any as as overbearing as my personality could be, because I'm an extrovert, you know, that that my background of Marine Corps and FBI and everything can real be that hardcore type A. It deeply wounded me internally when I could tell if I've wronged someone. Mm. I made someone feel uncomfortable. If I made, if I hurt someone in any way or made them feel less, uh, less in any way, it wounded me deeply. Um, so I really focused on my behavior and what I need to stop doing and start doing to not do those things anymore. So if I had a healthy relationship with myself where I understood trust isn't a weapon, right? It's a tool to create powerful relationships how would I do that on this short little podcast of ours? How would I begin to reframe my world, the narrative that I've used my whole life? Just, just teach me the tool so I can, so I can make more money and I can, can be more successful. And no, no, what would my approach be if I wanted trust to be the foundation of my relational narrative for my life? Um, it's actually, it's really simple. Um, it's, it's, it's what I call in life, the elusive obvious. Um, first, you have to understand that and, and put in, in your own internal workings of your mind when you're engaging another human being to realize that every human being is always going to act in their own best interest in terms of what they think their safety, security, and prosperity is from their point of view. And so 
from that point on, you're never taking anything personally. You're just understanding that people are taking actions that are providing their own psychological comfort. You can either be part of creating psychological comfort for them or not. If you are, then you're going to ha start having a relationship and start building trust. In order to do so, that's that's a framework in which you think and regard other human beings. Now, in order to actually do that, it's language and language congruent with your behaviors and actions is what makes trust happen because you have this congruency between your words, actions, and deeds. And here's four, I call them the four pillars of communication that make this happen. These are the four things that this Marine Corps major couldn't tell me when I, when I, was, when I was ranked last out of all the second lieutenants in my first duty station, when he told me, Robin, you suck. You just need to be a better leader and you need to make it about everyone else but yourself. And I'm like, wow, that's hurtful. I thought I was. I get it, but I own it because you're never a victim. You own it. I say, what do I do? And he goes, I don't know. Just figure it out and do it. This is the four things I've never heard anyone say that was exactly what I needed to hear that allows you to start building that trust and build those relationships. Number one, seek the thoughts and opinions of others instead of sharing yours. Two, talk in terms of their priorities and challenges instead of yours. Three, and then you talked about this already, validate them non-judgmentally, have non-judgmentally curiosity about who they are as human being and the path they walked. And this is where empathy is, because that's exactly what empathy is. And four, you empower them with choices. When you do one of those four things, the entire shift goes from you to them and their brain starts rewarding them chemically for engaging with you in the short term, which is transactional relationship stuff, which I'm not a big fan of, but you need to get go transactional to go to long term. So that's where the dopamine and the endorphins are starting to go. But when you actually keep acting and behaving in this manner where you are a resource for their success and prosperity without expectation or reciprocity. You continuously have demonstrate over time and repetition that kind of language and making it about them. That's when the long term starts kicking in. And that's when, you know, the serotonin and the and the and the uh, oxytocin start flowing and you have long standing relationships and you have trust. And so it's those four pillars of communication that make this entire thing happen because you're shifting that focus from you to others. And That's just so it. everyone knows, it's fascinating. There, his first book, Robin's first book, is called It's Not All About Me, where he outlines much of this framework we're, we're talking about. Very, very uh, short little, little book. I think it's, uh, see, I'm looking at it now. It's uh, 90 pages long. It's short, it's pithy, it's easy to digest, easy to consume. And Robin, that's your bestseller, I guess. It is my bestseller. <laughs> Isn't that something? A self-published book. Yep. You know, and, and how long ago was that? Um, 2010, I think, is when I released the Kindle. And 2011 is when I came out with the paperback. Uh, actually, I'm finally working on getting an Audible out for it. Uh because um, I've actually recorded it. I've actually read it out loud before. And so I'm actually trying to do that. But yeah, it's, it's sold. I think I'm over 100,000 copies on that book. Now. That's just amazing. That's fantastic. And it, it was the first one I, I purchased and I ran through it in minutes, basically. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it's easy to remember, too. And I love how you just nailed it. The four pillars of communication. Uh, and it, it, it seems to me, Robin, and again, you're saying you got to go transactional at first. Really make sure you're giving yourself to them and you're giving them gifts that, uh, that create that, that brain reaction in them. And what's the gift you get in return afterwards? Gratitude, if I'm lucky. 
<laughs> that's it. I mean, so all I'm ever seeking in a relationship is to be valued, you know, and, and if you're lucky, you'll get some gratitude. Um, you know, so someone asked me that, you know, the other day, if you're constantly making it all about others, you know, so where do you get your energy from? Well, I have these, I have my three, my three whys in life. Um, you know, by, you know, my whole purpose is number one is create healthy, strong relationships and connections. Number two is open, honest communication and transparency, because you can't have that healthy, strong connection without open, honest communication, and transparency. And this is from a spy recruiting guy. I'm telling you, I'm completely transparent as you're seeing now. And then finally is be an available resource for the success of others without expectation or reciprocity. And that's the, that's the service uh, orientation, which is leadership. And the, and where you get my energy from is when you're of service to others and you see people being successful, because all I'm doing is I'm a resource for their success on the path that they've chosen. And if you see them start being successful and you are able to at least contribute maybe one nugget along the way, that's when your reward comes is seeing other people's success. And that's what that's what really inspirational and the exceptional leaders do. They pay, pay attention to what others are seeking to do with their lives. And you're just trying to be a resource for them achieving those things. And that's for your reward. Now, you didn't live in corporate America. You lived in government. You lived with the FBI for 21 years. You were the head of their behavioral, what was it called? The behavioral analysis, analysis. program, yep. right? So obviously, this is a fantastic tool in that. Uh, but if you were talking to my community, most of which come from the corporate world, um, have, you, have you got a good segue for them to be able to turn into these kind of leaders, these relational leaders? Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, I've been retired a number of years and I've run my business um, consulting with you know that world since 2010. Um, I've had outside employment with the FBI before I retired. And, you know, so regardless of whatever, you know, author or other thought leader you're reading in the world of leadership, you know, whether it's Simon Sinek, um, um, Jocko with Link and Leif Babin, you know, you know, with uh, extreme ownership or even, you know, more, you know, anecdotal storytelling, you know, from like Jim Mattis and Call Sign Chaos, um, you know, all these leaders are saying exactly the same thing, using great anecdote and story about how great organizations take care of their people. Because when you take care of your people, the people take care of everything else. But having a clear understanding, probably the greatest cons consultation I do is working with companies and organizations, understanding that you actually have to really understand the purpose and the why of that organization. If you're focusing on the what and the how, which is you know the 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 daily grind and you know the maelstrom of, of distraction, you're not you know as a leader you're not going to keep things moving forward. In order to have the culture that you need, because in order to have a, a great innovative culture, you need people to feel safe and secure internally. Because when they feel that safe safety and security internally, where they're not getting backstabbed, where they're not feeling like they're about to be thrown out of the door, where they're not getting ranked, and and it's a no no failure culture, you know, no one's going to innovate in those kind of things. In order to create that culture of safety and security psychologically, where people can innovate, you need to demonstrate value and you need to demonstrate affiliation. Those four pillars of communication do just that because when you're talking in terms of the priorities of others when you're validating them and um and seeking their thoughts and opinions you're being curious about them and giving them choices it's all very congruent with that kind of culture now all those things must align then with the why of the company you have to spread and understand so that your people one you have to understand the why and then understand been able to articulate that to those underneath you as well but you communicate that using those four pillars
And it's so interesting because many leaders will say their first step is creating a powerful narrative story for their investors or for their customers. Uh, but they have an organization of people who have self-interest and they don't take the time to teach their leaders how to uncover what that self-interest is. And only by hearing them and understanding it, can you create a bridge from their narrative to the one you're using to go to market with, right? And, and I don't see that happening. I don't see people for whatever reason digging deep into the narrative of the others. Yeah, no, um, they're not. And, and also some people in, in positions of title and position, a lot of times become managers only and no leaders. Um, and one of the biggest things you can do to create that great culture is you need to be present for one thing, you know, so people see you. And so you can get a sense of what's going on and making that personal connection. And I know it takes time and energy, but you have to do it and you can do it in the virtual world as well. You just have to reach out and touch people's pain points. But the other thing that uh, I've seen a lot of leaders fall into the trap of, and, and I was just talking to my son, who's a battalion commander at the Naval Academy right now as a, as a senior is a lot of CEOs and founders or whatever, you know, that have maybe 50 employees, a hundred employees, or maybe thousands of employees, they think they're leading all of those people. No, you're not. You know, the science is really solidness. We as human beings are really effective about communicating and leading about six to 12 people at a time, max. You know, so my son, who's got 700, you know, midshipmen underneath him, you know, was, you know, thinking he, he, he was overthinking a, uh, an interaction with a bunch of people. I said, no, no, no. I said, you're actually leading only five people. You got five company commanders and that's who you're leading. Those company commanders are leading two platoon commanders. Those two platoon commanders are leading three squad leaders. Those three squad leaders are leading four people. So focus. And when I was at Paris Island, I, I was a serious commander there. I had 240 recruits. When I first got there, I was thinking to myself, I am leading 240 recruits. No, I wasn't. I had four senior drill instructors. That's what I was leading and one senior chief. They were in charge of the training. So your purpose, my purpose was the morale, safety, and psychological safety of those people. So they didn't do something stupid to end their careers and to accomplish the mission. So I'm watching them. I'm being a resource for them, making sure that they're doing what they do need to do every day, making sure I'm a resource to them, overcoming the obstacles and challenges and creating that, that psychological safety they need to execute the mission and the why at the next level. So it, it's really, it's that trickle down of one, understanding yourself and communicating effectively with those underneath you. And that's what I love about Jim Madison, his book, Call Sign Chaos, as a former sec def, you know, he talks about, the, you know, three tiers of leadership. You have the tactical, then you have the executive, then you have the strategic. And each of them have the same things in place. It's just how you execute them and understand the vision at a bigger level. One of the things you got very good at in your professional um, occupation that um, security leaders in the marketplace uh, are dealing with right now, especially with the expansiveness of the, the digital and human sensors feeding them information about risk in the world, uh, is how do, you, how do you get to truth? How do you get to truth? So part of the relational model is trust, but at the end of the day is also, how do you know you've done that in the kind of organizational chart you're, you're talking about. So you're focused on the four or five leaders. How do you know that is cascading down to the rest of the troops that you've created a relational model? How do you know the truth of that without getting involved with those people? How do you do that? 
Sure. Uh, great question. And again, it's things are simpler than people think they are. Um, one, I'm constantly seeking clarity and, tra and uh, transparency. And if I have, if I have, if I don't understand something and I ask a question, I need immediate transparency and simplicity. Because if you understand something at the depth of knowledge that you need to have in order to be effective, it needs to be simple and need to be able to articulate it and you need to be able to do it like this. And I need nonverbal congruence. In other words, I need to see really high comfort nonverbal displays when you're sharing this information with me where I'm looking for transparency and I'm looking for that congruency with how it's being delivered. Are you delivering it confidently? Maybe a little bit of smile, ventral displays, up, open and out. Or every time I'm asking you a question for clarification, am I getting stress indicators, eyebrow compression, lip compression, blocking, blading, coming in, you know? And so I'm looking for congruency of verbals and nonverbals, and I'm looking for transparency and, and clarification and simplicity. Now, if I'm getting that, which allows my decision-making process for my situational awareness, the likelihood that they're doing the same with their people is pretty high because now... I don't do lie detection or lie or deception indicators because, you know, people really aren't good at it. The best in the world are 50% at best at really detecting deception. I can detect stress though. Um, and we can all detect stress. We know when anyone's having a bad day because we've established a nonverbal baseline about people's normal behavior. And we can tell when someone's having an off day. Now, what we do as leaders is we, de we decide whether we want to poke at that or not, or is it, and I always, I also just assess it in this lane. You know, if you're, if you're engaging me in a way that you're not, you don't want to be transparent in this lane, doesn't mean that you're not going to be open and transparent over here and over here, over here. I need to make a decision if this is enough, you know, or if, or if this lane here is a game, a game stopper. And then I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be transparent about what I actually think about your lack of transparency. And maybe it's my perception or help me understand. Why are you uncomfortable right now? Because then I'm seeking your thoughts and opinions. You let me know how you want to proceed, but I'm not going to be able to proceed unless you're being a little bit more transparent. And I, it's my fault. I don't understand. Help me understand if you want to. Always make it about you and your behavior because otherwise we're not moving forward. That's how I do it. I, I love coming out of this discussion with you. I'm going to start asking you the question, what would it look like if you could have a great conversation, an honest conversation, a, a conversation that allowed people to be who they really were in front of you, what would that look like and how it would, how would it change your life? How, how has it changed your life, Robin? The, I love great conversations. Probably the, the, one of the best questions I love to get and I love to give um, to have that great conversation where you can start breaking down shields and make it about the other person is, how did you get to be the person you were today? Tell me about that journey. I love that question. That becomes a great conversation because everyone has an amazing journey. It's never about the end point. The end point, people always assume, because with me too, oh, you're the head of the behavioral analysis program for the FBI. Everyone always assumes, oh, that must have been an easy path. Look, you're this hard charging type A and you just made things happen. Literally, it happened because I failed at everything I wanted to do in my life, <laughs> you know, and it, so it's, it's that fascinating path that people take. That's how you have a great conversation. That's how you build connections. And that's how you make it about others. Well, I'm looking forward to your next book. Do you have any, uh, can you give us a little sneak preview of what it looks like? I've been kind of talking about it already today. Um, it's uh, at first I was working on, you know, I was calling it turn the tables, basically uh, how to make a skeptic uh, and people resistance allies. Uh, and so I'm actually working on a new title, which right now it's called connect, 
um, making the skeptical and resistance out, you know, people in your life allies. And basically it's basically, I was born to do, I was born to recruit spies. That's, that's where it's all starting because that is, that is the ultimate skeptic and res, person that is uh, resistant is uh, someone like that. Well, what you'll enjoy uh, people who are listening to this, what you'll enjoy in sizing people up is he really shows Robin shows how these tools work for him in real life scenarios here, keeping the uh, names private, obviously, but just a fascinating uh, kind of a history of our world at the same time, uh, a uh, analysis of how to use, uh, use behavior prediction and behavioral tools to get to truth and get to trust in relationship. Uh, this has been a great conversation, Robin, and I can't wait till you're ready to maybe publish that book and let's get back together when that happens. Okay. Anytime. I would love to, I love a great conversation. <laughs> well, now we know how to have one. <laughs> you, I think you're the master already. Thank, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank, thanks to Robin Drake with a uh, people formula, looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing people listen to this and actually begin to apply it in their lives. Thank you, Robin, for a great conversation. And thank you. 